Saul was told that David had fled to the desert of En Gedi. Armed with 3,000 hand-picked men, he pursued David to the cliffs known as the Crags of the Wild Goats. Once there, he went into a cave to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. David instructed his men not to attack Saul, who left the cave and went on his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord, the King! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. David showed him the piece of rope he cut off, making it clear he could have killed him. When David finished speaking, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. Saul made David promise that when David became king, he would not harm any of Saul's family. David agreed, and the two men went their separate ways. I am a man discovering destiny. I am a father leaving a legacy. I am the king of Israel. I am David. Well, thank you very much for that welcome, everybody. It really is uh, fantastic to be here and fantastic to bring you part four of our series, I Am David. And we're going to learn from David today how we triumph in the tough times. Uh, From the passage we arrive at today, the the one we've just heard uh, the reading of, uh, we see David, who's been uh, anointed to be king, is being chased by uh, King Saul, who has uh, murderous intent. And then we see that David is offered a golden opportunity to end his tough times once and for all, and I I trust you'd agree with me, being chased by a murderous king is a tough time, uh, to end his tough times once and for all uh, by killing Saul. But David doesn't take that opportunity. He spares Saul's life. Why? Well, quite simply, because it's the right thing to do. So when I talk about triumphing in the tough times today, I'm not talking about victory through violence. I'm talking about victory through virtue. In other words, I'm talking about doing the right thing when everything else is going wrong. That's what I mean by triumphing in the tough times. Uh, Maybe you're not going through a tough time right now, uh, but I trust you'd agree, if you've spent any time on planet Earth, you'll know that tough times come. uh, And we should expect them. I don't mean we should have some kind of morbid expectation, you know, like, how are you doing, Tom? Well, I'm okay at the moment, which can only mean one thing, pain is on the way, okay? (laughs) I don't mean that, but rather what I mean is we shouldn't be surprised when the tough times come. And so perhaps if you're in that situation, this message will be a message of preparation to get in training when those tough times come along. Or perhaps for you, you're going through a tough time right now. 
But either way, we can learn, we can take heart from David here. Here is a man who has been anointed to be the future king. That is his destiny. But on the way to his destiny, he has to go through these tough times. And I want to say it's the same for you if you're going through a tough time right now. That tough time is not your destiny. That tough time is just something you need to go through on the way to your destiny. Don't let it define you. Don't let it defeat you. But triumph in the tough time, and you'll find that it will shape you. And actually, what's more, we can actually learn something from Saul here. Uh, Saul says um, uh, to David, after David has spared his life, may the Lord reward you well for the way you have treated me today. And I think Saul is on to something. I think when we triumph in the tough times, I think there is a reward coming to us. If I can put it this way, if we can do right when everything is going wrong, then there will be a reward. So my message today and my prayer through this message by the Spirit and through this word is not to convince you that there's no such thing as tough times, but rather to convince you that like David, because we've got God on our side, we can draw on God's grace and God's Spirit and we can triumph in the tough times. So the idea of this message is to change our perspective If you're going through something really tough right now, or you have them in the past and you wonder how you'd get through it again, my uh, goal today is that we might change our perspective, get a heavenly perspective, and realize that no matter what the odds against us look like, we can triumph in those tough times. It may look or feel as though we're being pursued just like David is being pursued by Saul. It may feel as though the enemy has us surrounded. But with God on our side, we can triumph in those tough times. There's a story from the Korean War. Um, A company called Baker Company have been cut off from the rest of their regiment. And nothing's been heard of them for uh, many hours. And headquarters have been trying to get through to them on the radio, but they've not heard word from them at all. And then all of a sudden, a very faint signal comes on the radio. And one of the soldiers from the regiment says, "Uh, Baker Company, do you read me? And they hear the sergeant of Baker Company come in on the other side and say, this is Baker Company. And the soldier replies and says, what is your situation? The sergeant of Baker Company replied, the enemy is to the north of us. The enemy is to the south of us. The enemy is coming from the east and the west too. And then the line went dead. And there was a pause for a few moments. And then it came back up. And the sergeant said with great determination, the enemy is not going to get away from us now. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to say that with God on our side, no matter what the odds... It may seem like we're being pursued and the enemy's all around us. But actually, our perspective is different. We can tell the enemy on your bike and we can triumph in those tough times. So I've got three things here that we can learn from David and from this passage that will help us to triumph in the tough times. And the first one is this. Number one, keep to God's path. Can we say that together, please? Keep to God's path. It's always a good idea to keep to God's path, to do things God's way, to stay in his timing. But in the tough times, it can be particularly difficult and it can be particularly tempting for us to deviate and start doing things our own way. I believe from David here, we can learn that it's always good to keep to God's path. So we see Saul is chasing David and he chases him to this uh, desert oasis of Engedi, where there are these huge limestone cliffs which are hollowed out, and there's huge caves inside. And we read this. Saul came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. 
Now, Saul and his army outnumber David about five to one. It's quite darkly comic, this. Because he nips in to relieve himself, which means he's gone for a wee, because of that, it looks like he's in trouble. He's caught out because he's caught short. And it's an odd kind of detail to leave in there, isn't it? Why would the Holy Spirit feel it necessary to tell us that, you know, he could have just said Saul was going to a cave. My wife asked me when I get back from work every day, how was your day? There have been toilet trips during that day, but I edit them out when I tell her how it is, you know. (laughs) She appreciates that, okay. So why does the Holy Spirit keep this in? I think to make it abundantly clear that Saul was absolutely helpless and absolutely vulnerable. And if David had wanted to... Here was what looks like a golden opportunity to kill Saul and get rid of his tough times once and for all. And David's got a decision to make at that particular point then. Is this God's providence? That is, God guiding him through the circumstances and saying, this is what I want you to do? Or is it the wrong thing to do? Is this just temptation? It's the same for us, isn't it? When we're in a tough time, sometimes situations present themselves and we've got to ask ourselves the question, is God leading me through the circumstances to do this? Or is this the wrong thing to do? And I believe David gets it right. I believe David, in sparing Saul's life, does the right thing. But it's even harder for him because, as we see, his men actually try and convince him the other way. It says, the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Now, you can search your Bible high and wide. You'll never actually find that verse They're doing what sometimes spiritual people can do when they give out advice, couch it in spiritual language, but it's not the right thing to do at all, and it's not a particular Bible. It's like when people say things, well, you know, do that because God helps those who help himself, you know. It's not good advice, but it sounds a little spiritual. But David is strong here, and he knows this is the wrong thing to do. He knows it's his destiny to become the king, and he knows that God has chosen that destiny for him. But he also knows that God has chosen the path on which he's to get to that destiny. And this isn't the path, this isn't the right way to travel to his destiny. Not killing a man in cold blood, not murdering the Lord's anointed. This isn't God's path, this is a shortcut. And who knows whether that shortcut will work. So David does the right thing in sparing Saul's life. He stays and keeps on God's path. You might say, well, why does he need to do that then? What's the problem? If it's his destiny to become king and a shortcut comes up, why not just take the shortcut? Um, About this time last year, um, I had to do a little bit of work in the morning in my office in uh, Leicester. And uh, so my wife, Becky, and my little boy, Jack, um, they, well, Becky, because Jack couldn't speak at the time, uh, Becky said, why don't we come and meet you for lunch? Uh, We'll have lunch in Leicester, and then we can all travel back uh, to Peterborough together. So we did just that. Uh, Becky came and met me in Leicester around lunchtime, and we headed to uh, Pizza Express because, um, uh, well, because we like that particular restaurant, and uh, that should be reason enough for all of you, so stop pressing me, okay? Um, So we went to Pizza Express, and we had, uh, I believe it was pizza, uh, and on the way out, I thought to myself, I'm in an area of Leicester I don't really know very well because I don't, I don't go to Peter Express for lunch every day, I normally have a pack-up. So I got my phone out and checked on the map the best way for us to get back to our car park, if you like, our destiny, the Montfort University car park. Not a great destiny, but it, it would do us for that day. So I got the, my phone out and I looked on the map and I could see the path. It was this way and that way and then that way and we'll end up at the car park. I thought, great, that's the way we'll go. And then an instinct came over me, you might call it a masculine instinct, uh, which made me think, 
I'm not sure this is the quickest way to go, actually. Um, I think I know a shortcut. So I said to Becky, uh, Becky, I think there's a better way to go than this. I think we can take a shortcut. And so Becky said, with much suspicion and furrowed brow, um, are you sure it's a shortcut? Um, and I'll be honest with you, that question and the tone in which that question was posed hurt my feelings somewhat. Um, <clears throat> I thought, I've been in the city a number of years working here, if you think I don't know the best way around. But I didn't let that bother me. I, uh, I soldiered on. That's what I do. Um, so we headed off on this shortcut. Now, I know already everyone in the room knows exactly where this story is going. So... <clears throat> So I'm not going to draw this out. And what I will say in my defence is the moment I realised it wasn't a shortcut, I was quick to admit it, OK? As soon as night fell and we were crossing London Bridge, <clears throat> I said, Becky, I think we should have gone my way. <clears throat> now, obviously, it wasn't that bad. But, but quite seriously, half an hour after le leaving Pizza Express, we passed by Pizza Express. OK? <laughs> It was a really hot day, and Jack was about five months old, and Becky was carrying him on one of those harness things. It was not, I was not popular, okay? Now, okay, after that, we then went back to the, the, the path, the, the map that had uh, come up on the phone, and we found our way to our, our, our destiny, if you like, to the car park. So we got there in the end, but it was painful, and it took a lot longer. What's my point? My point is, not everything that looks like a shortcut is a shortcut. Sometimes it looks like a shortcut, but it takes you a lot longer. You might arrive at your destiny, and it will be pretty painful. Sometimes it might get you off your destiny altogether. Wouldn't it have been a lot more sensible of us to stay to the tried and tested path, which we knew was infallible, rather than going with my fallible reasoning and say, we'll go this way? And this is what David got right. This wasn't the right thing to do. This was a shortcut. And who knows what would have happened if David had killed Saul? Who knows if he'd even arrived at his destiny? Maybe he'd have got there, but maybe it would have taken ages and been painful. And this is a lesson that all of us uh, need to learn and learn again as Christians. Sometimes in the tough times, an opportunity poses itself, and we think, I want to take that opportunity. That's a shortcut. That's a way out of the tough time. Could be you're in financial trouble. And what does God's path say? God's path says, keep being generous, keep giving, steward wisely, trust in God to get you out of that trouble. But then an opportunity, a shortcut poses itself. Maybe it says, be stingy, hold back. Maybe you owe someone money, you just um, don't pay them back, hope they'll forget about it. Maybe even not claim things on your tax return or uh, put in more expenses or, or maybe even defraud or steal. What's going to happen? It looks like a shortcut. It'll get you out of the trouble. Yeah, but it's probably going to be a lot more painful in the long run. Might look like a shortcut. Might look like it's going to get you to your destiny, but it won't. We need to stay and keep to God's path. Or it could be in marriage. Maybe for you right now, your marriage is the tough time. And what does God's word say? What's God's path? It says, work through it. All married couples go through difficult times. Work through it. Work together. Remember, you're both on the same side. Trust in God, and he'll get you through this. But then maybe a shortcut comes up. Maybe somebody else in the office, who at that particular time you prefer to your spouse, and you think, this is a shortcut. I can get straight to happiness by going with this person. I'm sure I don't need to tell you, often when that happens, that leads to so much pain and can mess up somebody's destiny altogether. 
in these times, when we're going through tough times, when these opportunities present themselves that look like God might be guiding us, we need to think, no, no, what is God's path? What does God's word say about this? And keep to God's path. But the question is, how do we do it? Well, we can actually get a a glimpse of David's mindset at this particular time because David wrote one of his psalms in this particular situation. Psalm 57, if you look in your Bible above it, it says a psalm of David written while David was fleeing Saul to Engedi. And David wrote this, I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Notice that language. He's going through a tough time And like all of us in a tough time, we want comfort, we want refuge. So where does David find that refuge? In a shortcut? In doing the wrong thing? In taking matters into his own hands and killing Saul? No, he does it by seeking refuge in God. So in the tough times, when these golden opportunities come up, let's keep to God's path, let's seek our refuge in him. And you know what? David didn't write that in Psalm 57 just to help Tom Webster out when he was doing a message in Peterborough in 2016. He wrote that because he was convincing himself that actually God is the one he can seek refuge in. What I mean is this. He believed it, but he wanted to proclaim it. He wanted to declare it. So if you're in a tough time right now, don't just say, okay, I'll keep to God's path to yourself. Don't just think, yeah, God's got the best for me. Actually declare it. Say to God, I will seek refuge in you. You know what else David does in this psalm? He's honest to God. He actually says, this is what the situation is. This is the trouble I'm in. Sometimes we hold back because we think, oh, maybe I shouldn't be angry with God or angry about this situation when he's done all this. Well, God knows anyway, so why not tell him? (laughs) So let's speak to God. And you know what else David does? He praises God in this. You know, in the tough times, sometimes we don't feel like praising God. Praise him anyway. You will find when you do that, that actually you begin to see just how big God is. You begin to see that his path is not there to upset you. It's not there just because God's long-winded and likes to take you around the houses. It's there because he loves you and that's the best way to do things. So declare those things, praise his name, you'll get a revelation of that and it will help you to keep to God's path. So that's the first thing we can do to triumph in the tough times. We need to keep to God's path. Second thing we can learn from David and we can do here is this. Keep honouring authority. Again, can you say that with me? Keep honouring authority. For David here, it's actually authority that is the cause of his tough time. Yeah, it's Saul, his king. And by the way, if you were an ancient king, believe me, you were an authority figure. You were head of the church, you were head of the state, you were head of everything. And it's actually that authority figure that is putting um, David through this tough time. And yet, as we'll see here, David continues to honor Saul. It can be the same for us. We can be in a tough time that might be caused by a leader, maybe a a boss or or whatever. Or sometimes it can just be that they're contributing to a tough time that's already there. Or sometimes, and lest I accuse you, let me just say this about myself, if I'm honest, sometimes it's just an inner stroppiness I have that means I don't really want a boss telling me what to do and all that kind of stuff. I believe when those tough times come, though, it's all the more important for us to keep honouring authority, and I believe we can learn this from David. It says in verse 6, He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. You know what really stands out to me here is this incredible reluctance David has 
to do anything to Saul because he's his authority figure, because he's his master. But he tells us why as well. It's not just because he's the master, he's the boss. He tells us why he's reluctant to do this, why it's, God forbid I should do this. It's because he's been anointed by God. In other words, over a thousand years before the New Testament is written, David has got the whole principle that actually our leaders, one way or another, are put in place by God, and therefore we must honor their authority. And I think we can learn from David in this. When we're going through a tough time, we need to keep honoring authority. And in the New Testament, it spells this out in more detail. It talks about honoring our governing leaders, the government. It talks about honoring our church leaders and talks about honoring our marketplace leaders, our bosses. But first of all, how do we honor our governing leaders? It says in Romans 13:1, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. So what the Apostle Paul is writing, saying here is, He's saying that in some way or other, if you've got a government in place, in some way or other, God has put that government. Now, that's a massive subject, because you could ask, what about evil regimes and all that kind of stuff? And there have been whole books written on that subject, and I invite you to go and read them. And if we have more children, they're grown up, and I have a bit more time on my hands, I'm happy to chat to you about that whole subject. But for the time being, I think the application of this is very pertinent for us in our country right now. Sure, you'd agree with me, our country is going through something of a turbulent time at the moment. Perhaps some of you are old enough to remember more turbulent times, but for me, I can't remember any time really where people have been uh, talking quite so much about politics and about the political sphere, and I've certainly never heard, I think, so much fear out there. And what are we supposed to do? As Christians, it's okay for us to have all sorts of different opinions as to who should be in government and how they should lead and whether someone should have done that and someone shouldn't have done that and so on. That's absolutely fine, and it's fine for us to, um, to talk about it and, and, and keep abreast of current affairs and all that kind of stuff and to discuss it, even in life group. That, that's all fine. And it's fine for us to disagree over those things, but one thing we must be united over is whatever we think about the government or what's happening, we need to honour our governing leaders. Why? Because God tells us to. And I believe particularly at this time, one of the best ways we can honour our governing leaders is to pray for them. This is brought out again in the New Testament. Paul again says to Timothy, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And of course, kings and those in authority would be the governing authority in Paul's day. I was away this week. I was actually staying over in a hotel. And I was just reading that scripture on my bed at night time. And it particularly stood out to me, the fact that Paul used that word urge. And I know Paul wasn't writing to us in the 21st century in Britain when he wrote that. But I almost just got a picture of of Paul hearing lots of Christians talking this way and that way, uh, you know, discussing with differing opinions uh, about, you know, what should happen and who should be running the government and who the next leader should be and what they should do and all the stuff about Europe and so on. And it wasn't that Paul was rebuking anybody for that in this picture I got. But rather, it's like he was just saying to people, guys, by all means, discuss it, but don't forget to pray. I urge you, pray. As well as disagreeing, as well as having your opinions, please pray. That is one of the ways we can honor our government. We can say, let's pray for godly leaders to get in place. 
pray for God to work through that government that the best things might happen. And can I say as well, even if we are scared of some of the stuff that might be happening, let's not join in with everybody speaking fear into that situation. The Bible tells us the power of life and death is in the tongue. Let's speak positively and hope and joy into those situations. But let's pray for our governmental leaders. That's a great way to honor them. Also, we need to honor our church leaders. It says in Hebrews 13, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. I love that. It's such practical advice. You know, it's like, be nice to your life group leader because you'll make their life easy, and in turn, they'll make your life easy. <laughs> you know, if you make them miserable, they'll probably end up making you miserable. And so we need to honor our church leaders. And this isn't, you know, something I've been told to say because we've had a bit of a problem with too much dishonor going around. Actually, I want to stop and just commend us. We have great uh, leaders here at Kingsgate, but we also have a great culture of honoring leaders. And I'm just saying here, let's keep that up. Because let's face it, in the tough times, I'm sure no one here at Kingsgate is a leader, no life group leader, no group pastor or pastor would ever intentionally put someone through a tough time. But we're all human, and misunderstandings can happen, and we may feel sometimes that we've been injured by a pastor or something like that. What do we do? Same as we do for the government. Let's pray for them. Let's speak well about them. And if they do do little things that might offend us or bother us, let's, let's just forgive quickly. Let those things go. To give you an example, there's actually one of the pastors here who I feel hurts my feelings and sort of injures me, if you like, quite regularly. I won't say his name just because I, I um, want to keep it secret. But um, he supports Manchester City. And he, <clears throat> and he often talks about them um, in church, you know, where every time they win. And, and I support Man United. I don't mention it too much, but I support Man United. And, and whenever he says something great about, you know, City have done really well in this, it, it hurts me. You know, um, in fact, one time he even played a video of them um, in church during a sermon uh, when they were doing something. I don't judge him for that. Um, the Lord will do that. Um, <clears throat> so what do I do when he, he treats me like this? Well, I just let it go. Do you know what I mean? Uh, he could have all sorts of reasons I don't know about. Maybe he's jealous of my youth. I don't know. Um, but I, I, I tell you what I don't do. I, I don't get up here and say things like, but Man United have won the league 20 times and City have only won it four, you know. I, I don't say Man United have won the European Cup three times and City have only... Well, they've nev never won it, actually, you know. You know, why? Because that wouldn't be honouring, OK? I just, I just let it go that he might be built up. Right? Dave's looking very upset down here. I don't know why. It's, I just want to say, not everything's about you, Dave. Uh, sometimes hear what you want to hear. <clears throat> I'm being silly, of course. But I, the main thing there is when things get to us, let's just let them go. Everybody's human. Let's make leaders' life easy. They make our lives easy. <laughs> so let's keep honoring our church leaders even in the tough times. But you know, the thing where this mainly applies, I think, for me at least, uh, would be at work. That's where I spend most of the time. That's where most of us spend most of our time. And it's probably our boss that has a you know, huge effect on our life. And it can be very difficult when we feel our, our boss is part of 
a tough time or even causing us a tough time, it can be difficult for us to keep honoring them. But if we want to triumph in the tough times, we must keep honoring them. Um, a few years ago, when I was an accountant, about eight years ago now, um, I uh, got an email from my boss saying, will you come to my office at two o'clock and, uh, you know, I'd like a chat with you. I was a little bit trepidatious because she didn't normally send me emails like this. You know, normally she'd tell me what the meeting was about. But I got into her office at two o'clock and sat down and basically, she said that since I got qualified as an accountant, which was about five months before, um, she thought that my job performance had gone down. And she mentioned five particular things that I'd done wrong. And I don't mind telling you, I've told loads of embarrassing examples. I seem to have a gift for uh, telling embarrassing examples. And I don't realize till afterwards that most people will be embarrassed. I just think that's normal. But I'm embarrassed to tell you this. I really am. I don't want anybody knowing that anyone ever said my job performance wasn't good. Because probably to an unhealthy level sometimes, I think I, I sort of put those things together so that if I'm not performing well in my job, I, I take it very personally if someone said that. And I took it very personally when she told me about these five things. At least three of them I thought were unfair. But if you do the maths, that's two. <laughs> that I thought, you know, fair enough, she's right here. But what she didn't know, uh, I, I should say, I respected this uh, boss. I, I loved working for this boss. Uh, what she didn't know is that about a week before, I'd been for an interview to stop being an accountant and to go and start my first teaching job. And I got good vibes, shall we say, from that interview. They pretty much told me, you're going to get this job in the interview, but they hadn't confirmed it yet. And part of me was just thinking, when she was telling me these things, of just getting up and saying, well, you can stick your job. <laughs> but I didn't. Nor did I actually just act really graciously right there and then. Uh, to be honest, it was awkward, okay? So I left her office, I saw her out the rest of the day, and then I, I went home. And I phoned a friend, uh, a Christian friend, and I spoke to them. And to be honest, what I really wanted them from them was them to be like David's men, yeah? To come up with a kind of Bible verse, you know? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say unto you, go tell your boss to stick it, okay? Um, <laughs> but they didn't. You know what they said to me? They said, look, I've had to hear those kind of things before, and it's not easy, but she probably just wants you to do really well, and there's probably some truth in it somewhere. So why not just, you know, take what's true, leave what's not true, and just tell her that actually you're going to respond and you're going to try hard. I had two thoughts about that after I got off the phone. One, was she's absolutely right, it's a friend of mine. And secondly, I wish I'd phoned somebody else. <clears throat> But I went in the next morning, actually got in early specifically, make sure I beat my boss into the office. And I wrote an email just saying, um, I agree with two of your five. <laughs> I didn't put a number on it. I just said, I agree with some of what you said. Um, you know, now I'm qualified. I think it's time for me to step up. I want to do well for you. I appreciate you, all this kind of stuff. And she actually responded when she got in later in the day. Bosses always come in later, don't they? It's part of being. Anyway, she, when she came in later in the day, she said, Tom, I'm thrilled about this response. And she was really kind to me almost straight away after that. Well, about a week later, I found out I had got the other job. And she was really kind to me as I saw out my notice, just making sure I understood that actually I'd done a really good job at that place and I could have my head held high and all that kind of stuff. And then about two years after, when I went to this new job as a teacher, about two years after, I moved from that teaching job to another one, the one I'm in now and enjoy very much. And I contacted this old boss for a reference. And she sent me the reference that she was sending to my future boss, to the people at De Montfort University. And when I opened up this reference, it was so sweet that I actually burst into tears. Now, I know because it's me that loses impact, but, 
But it really was. It was like she'd gone out of her way to make sure that I'd get the job. You know, I was an accountant then, but she'd sort of just formed the whole uh, reference to make it clear that actually they always thought I'd be a good teacher and all this kind of stuff. It was just really sweet of her, really kind. Now, I don't know for sure, because, you know, it's not like a certificate came out of heaven saying this is your award, but I believe that was my reward for triumphing in the tough times. And lest I sound too much of a hero in my own story there, I was very reluctant. <laughs> but God is so gracious that even then, if we do the right thing when everything's going wrong, he will reward us. So let's keep honoring authority. And third and finally, if we're going to triumph in the tough times, let's keep showing grace to others. Can we say that together, please? Keep showing grace to others. Um, David here, in merely sparing Saul's life, is showing him mercy. But he goes one further. He honors him, and he makes him a promise that he will not kill off Saul's descendants. That's more than mercy. That's grace. Mercy is when you let someone off the hook for something they've done wrong to you. Grace is when you bless them when they've done something wrong to you. And this is what David does here. And you know what? If I was going to look up any kind of pithy verse in the Bible that sums up what grace is, I wouldn't have thought I'd be looking at King Saul. But indeed, actually, it is King Saul in this verse that I think sums up what grace is all about. He says to David, you have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. (laughs) And this is what grace is. And David knew, again, a thousand years or so before the cross, he just had this understanding that he is a man who is a receiver of grace. You read the Psalms. What does he say? I've been sinful since my uh, mother's womb. David knows that God has treated him well, even though he's treated God badly. And as someone who's received grace, he knows he must give grace. And we need to be the same. We stand as Christians purely because of the grace of God. We did not treat God well, but he treated us well. And as such, we need to do the same with others. If you remember nothing from this message, I'd like to remember this little challenge. Whenever somebody does something that puts us through a tough time, whenever somebody does something to hurt us or to injure us, let's not see that as an opportunity to repay them in kind. Let's see that as an opportunity to show grace. Think about how this transforms your whole thinking. You know, I think how grateful my wife should be. I constantly give her opportunities to show grace. But don't you think that would make a difference? I mean, sometimes as Christians, we, we lose this. Sometimes we, we display completely the other attitude. And you know, we say things like, I sent this person to, to do this thing, and, and they got it completely wrong. They blew it, so I had a massive go at them. No, you blew it, because you're a Christian. They made a mistake, and you didn't use that as an opportunity to show them grace. Do you think this would make a huge difference if you're at work and somebody does something wrong to you and you bless them in return? Don't you think the very fact that someone knows you're a Christian you've done that is going to make a difference to their thinking? Or in your connect group, if it's, I don't know, badminton or something like that, if somebody comes in and they play against you and they beat you and they're you know, really unkind to you and then you beat them back and you bless them for how well they played, don't you think they'll start thinking, man, there's something different about these people? Every time somebody does something that might put us in a tough time, we need to see that as an opportunity to show them grace. David here, I believe, is a wonderful example of that here. 
It's Saul who's putting him through this tough time. And yet he shows him not just mercy, but grace. Saul is a, David, sorry, is a wonderful example of how we should triumph in the tough times. But you know what? He's not just a wonderful example. He also points to an even better example. Does David remind you of anyone in this situation? A descendant of his who, as to his human nature, would be called the son of David, who came from Bethlehem, who would be a shepherd and a king to his people. Of course, I'm talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we read in uh, Hebrews 12 too, For the joy set before him, he enjoyed the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, what did he do? He triumphed through the ultimate tough time. And who was the cause of that tough time for Jesus? I hate to tell you folks, but it was me and it was you. We treated him badly. And how did he treat us? He treated us well. (laughs) He triumphed through the tough time. Why? For the joy set before him. What does that mean? Well, ultimately, it means he'll get the fruits of his sacrifice. And that's us. We are his reward, if you like. The joy set before him is that Jesus made a way. He triumphed in the tough times that he might meet with us. And as a result, we can then come into his kingdom and by his spirit and by his grace, we too can triumph in the tough times because he gives us that platform, but also because he gives us that great example. I'd like to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for sending your only son that even though we treated you badly and we treated him badly, that you might treat us well, that you might not treat us as our sins deserved, but you might treat us with grace, grace beyond anything we can measure, anything we can understand, Lord. Lord, I thank you so much that that gives us the platform and the strength to be able to follow his example, to pick up our cross and see the tough times, not as something that is our destiny, but something that we pass through on the way to our destiny. Thank you for sealing our destiny. Thank you for ensuring our destiny. And Lord, I pray that by your spirit we might triumph in the tough times.